and welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and as always, you can find us on social media by searching Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram, we'll pop up, and Medium Cool Pod uh, at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. You can also email us, mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter, on Letterboxd, uh, on Instagram, all the places by searching Austin Glidden. And, uh, yeah, that's all the things. Also, if you get a chance, definitely subscribe or follow wherever you're listening to this. Uh, please do that. That helps us out. Also, if you feel so inclined, leave a rating or a review, and uh, that will also help us out. So all that said, all the shameless self-promotion and plugging and and um, begging for your love, uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into tonight's episode. We had a, a shorter one last week. We're having another shorter one this week because I've been just too swamped. Uh, you know, new job and all, and this is the busy season, so it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. I actually really love my job, by the way. It's just the best. It's the best to work in higher education again because I was away from it for three years, and though I had a good time with those three years, it's really nice to work with students again. I am not teaching, though, and I'm not teaching film, and that's something that I did for a couple of semesters in the past, and I had a great time with that, but I'm hoping to... Uh, start some sort of film thing on campus because we got to have some more of that. I digress. Anyways, today uh, we're going to be meeting up with our old friend JB. Uh, he's from F This Movie. He does all kinds of stuff. He's awesome. He's our buddy Jake Bottoliri's dad. And uh, JB's been on here once before, but I knew he was a huge Halloween fan. And since Halloween Kills came out last Friday, we decided to watch that. And then JB and I just went for it. We watched it on Friday, we talked on, uh, you know, we recorded a couple days ago, and uh, here it is. So uh, that's all we're going to do for today's episode. In the outro, I'll talk a little bit about what we're going to do on the next episode, but I want to go ahead and jump in to JB and I talking about Halloween Kills. All right, everybody. Uh, I got JB here with me again. JB, say hello, please. Hello, folks. There we go. And JB and I are going to talk about uh, the new film Halloween Kills. Came out uh, just last Friday. It was directed by David Gordon Green. It's written by Deborah Hill and Scott Teams, of course, based on the original works of John Carpenter. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis stars in it alongside Judy Greer, Andy uh, Matichak. Uh, Will Patton, Robert Longstreet, whom I love, by the way, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, Anthony Michael Hall, which is the nerd in every 80s movie, and then somehow became oh, a he's, jock. He's not a nerd anymore. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's totally. all grown up. Oh, my gosh. And so many more people. Uh, release date, again, was last Friday, October 15th, 2021. And uh, Halloween Kills is the nightmare. Uh, basically shows us that the nightmare isn't over. As unstoppable killer Michael Myers escapes from Laurie Strode's trap to continue his ritual bloodbath. And injured and taken to the hospital, Laurie fights through the pain as she inspires residents of Haddonfield, Illinois to rise up against. <laughs> I had no idea what you were doing. Uh, but she tries to get people to rise up against Myers, uh, taking matters into their own hands. The Strode women and other survivors form a vigilante mob. Um, to hunt down Michael and end his reign of terror once and for all. This is a direct sequel to the Halloween film from 2018, also by David Gordon Green, which is a direct sequel of the original 1978 film. 
uh, as if the sequels didn't exist. And JB, I'm going to toss this over to you and ask you, I know you're a fan of the original Halloween, big fan, I believe. Oh, yes. Oh, as yes. am I. So people need to understand uh, I'm a huge fan as well. But where do these sequels sit with you? And where does Halloween Kills fit into it all for you? Okay, well, uh, a popular game this weekend has been posting how you would rank the Halloween films numerically. <laughs> yeah. I That's like how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. I'm not going to be drawn in that discussion, but I enjoyed the Halloween that was released three years ago. I, I thought it was fun, and um, I thought it was more fun that I didn't have to go to a theater to see this one, courtesy of Peacock. Love you, Peacock. Give me more months for free. Yeah. And um, I appreciated the fact that I could watch it at home. And the timing was uh, was advantageous because Scream Factory uh, just it's not a double dip. It's more like a quintuple dip uh, has put out Halloween once again, this time on 4K Blu-ray uh, in a delightful box that if you choose to give them your credit card number, you can get all sorts of bells and whistles with it. So I've been rewatching the original series in 4K and the discs are beautiful. They did a really, really good job. In fact, one of the bonus features on the original Halloween is a DVD that has the original color timing when they released it. That's way different and people didn't like. So that's a little curiosity you can get. And there's posters and little vinyl records. And if you really have money lying around that you have nothing to do with, you can get enamel pins as well. I did not get the enamel <laughs> pins. So Good. one thing I want you to clarify is because obviously I'm very familiar with the original Halloween uh, I saw it for the first time, sophomore year of high school. I was 16. And with the exception of Jaws, when I was about 12, I had never seen a movie play an audience that way ever. And I don't think since. I still remember that screening as just looking around and watching this film drive people crazy yeah. in 1978. Now, Halloween and Halloween Kills you said in your intro, assume that no other film exists except the original Halloween. That is my understanding. If okay, you... that makes sense. Yeah. Because last night, my lovely wife and I enjoyed Halloween 2 again, which I realize I have not seen that movie very much at all. I remember seeing it when it came out in 81 and maybe one other time, but I was really fuzzy on Halloween 2. Because there is material in Halloween Kills that is flashbacks, that is a comp, spoiler alert, that's accomplished with film stock looking things and actors who may or may not look like certain characters. And maybe there was some CGI involved. So as I watched Halloween Kills, I was trying to fit those flashbacks into the chronology, not only of Halloween, but of Halloween 2. It works. If you ignore Halloween too, I get it. Okay. <laughs> After Halloween, here's where everybody went in the next five minutes. But if you consider Halloween two canon, the timing is way off because at some point, spoiler alert, everyone goes to the hospital, which of course everyone does in Halloween kills too. Yeah. Um, because the hospital's a big um 
uh, set. Um, I have to say, I was wonderfully entertained by it. I had a great time. I'm not suggesting it's a great movie or anything. I don't think, obviously, it's in the league of the original Halloween. But I had a great time. Uh, people are complaining that it's mean-spirited. Have they seen the original Halloween and Halloween 2 lately? <laughs> um, I think maybe what they mean is two things. Number one, the killings in Halloween Kills are dwelt upon a little bit more. Yeah, The camera lingers. Um, the special effects guys seem especially proud of shots where an open wound has arterial pumping. Yeah. That happens a couple of times. And also there's a character and I won't spoil this, who I think most people watching the film thought would make it to the end. And that character does not make it to the end. And unless it has something to do with this third installment that's coming out next year, I think people thought that was arbitrary and unnecessary. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't find it particularly mean-spirited. Um, the whole subtext of the angry mob, I liked a lot because whenever a horror film sort of gets into other thematic matters, I really like it. I think more horror films should do that. Um, I've said this on the F This Movie website more times than I could count. Um, this movie is comfortable being about more than one thing and most horror films are comfortable just being about 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's a good point. Um, Austin, what did you think? Well, I, I want to I set you up because you just talked about the mob. We're going to come back to that. So we're going to put a pin in that. Okay. And so I'll tell you how I think, but I do want to jump back to your experience with the original and things like that. I also want to clarify, and I did not just look this up at the, yet, but I, I might look it up to confirm. My understanding is, as I already said, these two David Gordon Green at, uh, Halloween movies, 2018 and this Halloween Kills, are direct sequels of the first without the others. So right. that's my understanding. Um, but having said that, I so I liked the I love the 1978 version, of course. Uh, huge yes. fan. I don't understand how people could hate it. Like even if you hate slashers, how do you hate that movie? I'll tell you a couple of reasons why I love that movie, just because I'll, I'll we'll come back to it with these. The re with a lot of slashers, you have an unkillable villain, right? So you have Jason Voorhees, yes. who is unkillable. Freddy seems unkillable, and so on. You have all of these kind of uh, super famous killers who essentially become the protagonists of their franchise not the other person who started the franchise, right? Right. So, As the films go along, Freddy becomes the star with all the one-liners. Once the third movie hits, I feel like <laughs> it's, welcome to primetime, bitch. And then he, like, does oh, a yeah. thing. You know what I mean? Like, he becomes... What's so the matter? Tongue-tied? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's so... I love the third one. But the thing is, with Halloween, they give you one kind of shoestring little bit of evidence that gives you a reason for why he can do what he can now now i love freddie and he's a dream guy so we'll just we'll just kind of kick him out of the conversation but your jason Voorhees and all these others a lot of them just can do it they can live through getting nearly decapitated or electrocuted or stabbed through the heart or choked to death or whatever 
They can live through it. Michael Myers, in the first film, the opening scene, if I remember correctly, I didn't get a chance to rewatch. Usually I'll rewatch the prequels before I go into a movie. I didn't get a chance to watch the two here. But from my memory, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, in the first one, Donald Pleasance is in a car with a nurse, and they're driving around this kind of, uh, I, f- I feel like it was a windy road, but it's probably just a straight shot. I don't remember. And every time she's like, what if he's something, something? And every time she calls Michael a he, Donald Pleasant says it. It's an it. And yeah. he, he calls yeah. Michael Myers it, and he says he is the epitome of evil, essentially. He is the manifestation of all that is which unholy. Becomes, which becomes the theme of every Donald Pleasant's monologue after that. Yeah. <laughs> Although the first one I love. The scene that you're talking about has one of my favorite lines in the whole series when the nurse says, since when did they let them just wander around like that? <laughs> and you see them, you see them wandering in their hospital gowns in the rain. And it's, oh, it's just a wonderful moment. Yeah. Sorry it, to interrupt. No, no, that's great. I love it. Um, so basically, I'm, I, I don't need any more than that. Whenever, when Lori looks out the window, sees Michael, turns away, looks back and he's gone. He's evil. He's the epitome of, he is the manifestation of evil. I, yeah. Yes, it's a shoestring detail, very thin, but the point is I can suspend my disbelief because he's supposed to be this evil thing. I don't need any more. And, and Carpenter and Hill's screenplay for the first one is very clever in that it doesn't belabor the point, but it does make the point. Think of the famous last line. It was the boogeyman. As a matter of fact, it was. Yeah. And like you said, that's all you need. You don't need to go on and on. I would actually argue that in Halloween, in Halloween Kills, I almost said Hollywood Kills. That's different. In <laughs> Halloween Kills, there's another monologue about Michael feeding off people's fear that doesn't work nearly as well as uh, Donald Pleasance's original famous speech um, in the first one, because I realized that what we were dealing with was pure and simply evil. And then later when he talks about Michael staring at the wall, seeing beyond the wall. It's really nice writing because it's creepy. It gets under your skin. It makes you think about it. And we all recognize this was once a little boy. This is yes. this was a human person that seems to have been possessed with whatever pure evil is and has assumed the powers that come with it. Like it's, I mean, if you really want to break it down, it almost sounds ridiculous, but I'm fine with it. I'm good. So the first movie... I'm on board. I get why Michael can do the things. I get whenever he gets murdered, why he's not murdered. I get it. I don't need any more than that. Okay. Whenever Halloween in 2018 comes out, I don't remember them talking much about uh, the pure evil thing. And I was fine with that because this Mm -hmm. is 40 years later. And now, and uh, we might get a little spoilery with the, the 2018. I'm not trying to, but there are certain details I'm going to bring up. So Lori Strode has uh, this house. She's 40 years older. She's like a recluse in the woods. She has a home alone house, basically, that has all of these. <laughs> yeah, she's sort of a survivalist. Yeah. Yeah, and she has all these things for if Michael comes back, she's going to kill this motherfucker. You know what I mean? And so, <laughs> uh, like, I was into that. I was into this almost like Home Alone-esque house. Not literally Home Alone, but what I mean by that is, you know, like there are all these traps, basically. Like, she's prepared. Survivalist is a great way to put it. She has her uh, daughter, Judy Greer, and her, uh, played by Judy Greer, and her granddaughter, played by Andy uh, Matichak. And 
these are our protagonists in this movie, and it ties directly into the first film, and Laurie's like still 40 years later dealing with it. And what I love about that, even though I feel like someone could maybe make fun of how like kind of over the top and ridiculous like like Laurie's character can be 40 years later, think about this. If you experienced this tragedy, if someone literally was doing shit you cannot fathom and disappearing and reappearing and killing everyone around you, I would be a survivalist too. <laughs> and, and, and I agree with you 100%. And that's one of the things I liked about the 2018 film because trauma does have the effect of changing the rest of your life. And even though it's in a different genre, although... Some people might quibble that it's not. Think of one of the sub-themes in David Fincher's film Zodiac, that the gentlemen who involve themselves in the case basically have the rest of their lives ruined because they can't get out of the case. They can't stop being obsessed with the case. Yeah. And the same thing is true of Lori, that in effect, Michael Myers didn't have to kill Lori because he has ruined the rest of her life, the rest of your life, you will be fixated and focused on me. If not in person, then getting ready for my inevitable reappearance. And that, I think, is something that's very interesting. And like you said, true. I know plenty of people who are still trying to get over various traumas in their life. Absolutely. Yeah. And so <clears throat> the 2018 pretty much focuses almost exclusively on that. If I remember correctly, it focuses yeah. on that trauma and the family trying to basically get Jamie Lee Curtis's Lori to just like, hey, whatever you experienced, because they didn't believe her, if I remember correctly, and it's like, hey, right. just calm down. It's fine. Uh, Karen, Judy Greer's character, the daughter, thinks that Lori's going crazy. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, you know, they play with a lot of these things. And though I didn't love the film, I had a good time with it. I was positive on it overall. I was like, man, this was a fun time. And I don't say that a lot of, about a lot of new horror movies, but that one, I was like, cool. I can see the direct tie from the original. This could be a new kind of like duology sequel of sorts. And then if they make a second one, which they have now, it's like, cool. If it's as good as this, this would be my new trilogy, right? Not that I, nothing against the other Halloween ones. I would just need to go back to have an opinion. Right. But I felt really good about this. The thing with Halloween Kills, now getting back to my feelings about this movie, and I don't dislike this movie. I actually had a good time watching it. It was entertaining, and I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> but it was, <laughs> it was uh, an entertaining watch. But like as I was watching it, I found little things that I was getting hung up on. And we're going to talk about those as we go here. But one of the things is everything we just talked about with these two, right? You have this, there was a film that was about something in 2018. It was about Lori's trauma. It wasn't just about Michael killing everybody like a new Friday the 13th movie or something. We have a whole new camp of, right. you know. Uh, and, there's a and there's a lot of people who don't like the new film Halloween Kills because it seems to them that the filmmakers have lined up whatever ancillary characters are left, Tommy Doyle and this guy and the, the girl who was being babysat, they sort of line up whatever characters are left in Haddonfield and they're, they're lining up for the slaughter. The thing I liked is going from what you said about the first film in 2018 being about Laurie's trauma is this film expands the spotlight and the camera pulls back, and now we see the town. What has 
the Michael Myers incident from 1978 done to the town. And I found that interesting. I understand critics who would say it comes across as fan fiction that all they're doing is name checking people. Oh, she's the nurse who was driving the car and she's the girl who was being babysat. And this guy was the sheriff's assistant that night. And Charlie Cyphers shows up. My God, Charlie Cyphers has to be in his 80s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely. And what is that like his part time gig now? Just sitting at a desk in the hospital? I wondered real cops retire pretty early. What is Charlie Cyphers doing there? Does Haddonfield have that big of a, of a manpower shortage? I mean, I like to see the actor. I like to see the fact that he's getting work, but I think to some that came across as fan fiction. Uh, To me, it didn't. You mentioned Bill Lancaster and he has only recently been on my radar because he plays a pivotal part in this new uh, Netflix series, Midnight Mass. Yeah, we're talking about Robert Longstreet. Yes, yeah, dude. Which I'm I'm recommending Midnight Mass to everyone. It's incredible. Talk about something being about more than one thing. He's so and, good in that, by the way. But go ahead, sorry. And he he doesn't have quite as much to do in Halloween Kills, but it's always nice to see him. I know on the F This Movie podcast, I made a mistake because when I saw Bill Lancaster in Midnight Mass, I thought he was the same actor who plays A.D. Bryant's ne'er-do-well boyfriend on Shrill. That is not true. It's two different actors. But doesn't Lancaster have a distinctive voice? Dude, yeah. Well, so hold on. You're talking, you keep saying Lancaster. Are you talking about, we're talking about Robert Longstreet from uh, From, Midnight Mass, right? Yeah, and in, in Midnight Mass, he's joked Coley or Joe Colley. Yeah. And in this, he's he's Lonnie. Lonnie. Um, he's yeah. the grown-up Lonnie who famously goes to the front steps of the Myers place. And uh famously Donald Pleasant says, Lonnie, you get your ass out of here. Yeah. So that was nice <laughs> that that got name checked. Uh, because um, spoiler alert, in Halloween Kills, Lonnie, now all grown up admits that he never actually went in the house that he chickened out. So yeah, it's nice yeah. after 40 years to finally get the truth from a grown man. Yeah. Um, I mean, here, here's, <laughs> here's something that's really interesting to me. I haven't read anyone talking about it being mean spirited, which I'm sure is a common thing. Have they oh, seen yeah. the Rob zombie ones? I feel like those are inherently mean spirited. <laughs> like, I think maybe, and, and this is just supposition on my part. That some of the people sitting down, um, either in a theater, way to go, support live, support movie theaters, or watching it at home on the Peacock machine, are sort of so wrapped up in the nostalgic revelry that the, of everything Halloween became that they're ignoring what Halloween is. I don't see that big of a difference in the number of kills or the intensity of what's shown on screen, but I watch a lot of horror films. I didn't find it mean spirited, but again, I think some people who are making that claim are making that claim because of the last person who's killed in Halloween kills that that comes across to them as arbitrary and awful. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, like you said, comes across is, is that the, the person in question only had a contract for two movies, 
but I may be wrong. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'll, off, do, I'll do two, but not three. Tell my agent only two. <laughs> but the first one did so well. No, this is, uh, yeah. you know, I, uh, I don't, I just don't know. I, there's some, so you touched on a, an, an important part of the film, Halloween kills. And I still want to go back, but um, we're going to put a pin in this. Then I just changed my mind. We're going to put a pin in this. I want to talk. I want to go back in a moment to you talking about how this is not just about one person's trauma, but it's about the town's trauma. And I want to put, yeah. uh, I'm going to make a note of that. So we get back to that because that is actually a really important thing. I do want to go back though. We're going to hop back to the very beginning of us talking here. And I want to talk about, you talked about seeing at the age of 16, the first Halloween movie in theaters. Yeah. And I can't imagine what that was like. I love that you coupled it with Jaws because I think a lot of people forget that Jaws was actually scary. Uh, <laughs> like, I feel like people don't think that was like kind of a horror movie, essentially. And it's like, yeah, I get that. Like this, like buddy, this buddy movie. Let's go get the shark, you know, for the last part. And it feels kind of as, fun. As, but as, dude, as better minds, as better minds than mine have said, when the film was originally released, PG-13 didn't exist. Jaws was PG, little rectangle, parents strongly cautioned. That's the only reason why I got in. And after the thing with Ben Gardner's boat, audiences could not. I mean, Spielberg's work had been done because after that, the audience did not trust the filmmaker. And you were thinking anything could be around the next corner. And the irony is, of course, that the shark never worked and you don't see the shark a whole lot. But after Ben Gardner's head pops out of that hole in the boat, everyone just lost it. Yeah. Um, there's a documentary about horror films. I'm trying to remember which one it is because I've seen so many of them. It's either Fear in the Dark or The American Nightmare, where John Landis says, when you're watching a Hitchcock film, you know you're in the hands of a master and he's going to take care of you and he's not going to cross the line. Landa says, when you watch a Wes Craven film, it's like you're watching a film made by a maniac and you're you're unsure. You're you're very unsafe because you don't know where he's going to go next. And that's how the audience responded to Jaws when it first came out. After the head in the boat, people just they they um, I've heard the same thing said. This was two years before I was born when Psycho came out after the shower scene. Audiences were just. They were they were flummoxed. They had never seen anything like that. They were fearful for what was going to come next. And you don't get that anymore. Very rarely, at least. Um, no, I think it's it's very hard to scare audiences. Um, on a completely different note, I remember the first time I saw the Blair Witch Project, and the last image in that film like took me years to scrub out of my unconscious. It, it was something that I didn't like. It was something would that, that defines the uncanny, but man, did it take me a long time to get over that? <laughs> it, I think, you know, the well, shot I'm talking about. I'm, I'm just about. going to vaguely say, was it a guy standing in a corner? You bet. Dude, that still stuck. Oh, that my. still sticks with me. Actually, oh, that is, Talk about, I forget who originally coined this term uh, in terms of suspense and setting things up. Talk about scaring people with nothing. If when I went nothing. into that film, someone would have said, you know, for the next year, 
you won't be able to get a picture out of your mind of a boy standing in a corner. I would have laughed. I <laughs> would have laughed. My favorite line but, from that man. movie is, shit, what is this shit on my shit? I just thought that was like, I laughed <laughs> so hard when I first saw that. And that guy just says that. Um, anyways, uh, yeah. So like, I love that you brought up that Jaws is like something scary because the scene that always got me, and I'll get back to Halloween here in a minute. But the scene that always got me is when the boy gets eaten. And there's so much blood in the oh, ocean. Yeah. Dude, even when I saw it, like, I think I saw it for the first time from beginning to end proper, like a Blu-ray copy, not on TV, not just watching it with my family as yeah. a kid or whatever, but really watched it in like the late 2000s. I think I finally sat down and just was like, I'm going to really watch this. And dude, that scene got me. Not that it scared me, but it was it's like, a, it's a tsunami of blood. And I give the scriptwriter and Spielberg so much credit. That's little Alex Kintner. And you know that you're watching a quality film because in a quality film, death has meaning and death has consequences because it's immediately followed by the scene where Roy Scheider encounters the boy's mother. And that I don't know how you can watch that and not be affected by it because it's so sad and really gets to the heart of, of the tragedy when she slaps him. Yeah, no, it's it's so good. So it's like we got to think about this, though. You brought up Jaws. That was a scary movie. Of course, The Exorcist yeah. preceded it, and there were others, but Jaws was a big deal. That was a huge, the beginning of the blockbuster, some might say. And so you have Jaws, right? Halloween, like Jaws was scary, listeners, okay? Think yeah, of Halloween. Yeah, originally okay? it was. <laughs> like, think of Halloween. Before it became part of the Universal Studios tour, it was a horror film. <laughs> I cannot imagine what Halloween was like to sit through. This is before Alien. This is before all the slew of 80s films. This was a drive-in masterpiece, essentially. And I had never I had never seen, remember, theaters were a little bigger back then because I'm old. I had never seen 500 people jump at the same time. It, it, it played them like a, a, a maestro leading an orchestra or whatever metaphor you want. It's, it's one of my most memorable movie going experiences. It was unbelievable. I had never seen anything like that before. And I don't expect you to remember this specific moment, but I'm just curious. Last thing about this and your experience seeing the original, how did people respond when Michael came out of that closet, that famous scene? Well, I've always thought, obviously everyone jumped and, and made noise and was scared, but I always thought the, the key to that um, wait, I'm not sure if we're talking about the same scene. Are we talking about in the kitchen or upstairs in the bedroom? I was talking about upstairs in the bedroom, but the kitchen's great too. <laughs> we can talk about both of them. <laughs> the, the kitchen scare, I think really benefits from the music sting. There's a music sting they added. And I think that's a lot of the effectiveness of that, but it was, I think that starts horror fans. Um, disenchantment in terms of the protagonist thinking that they had uh, vanquished the villain and, and they hadn't. Um, for instance, there's a moment in Halloween Kills where a character has a pitchfork and uses it. And I'm in my living room and I don't often talk back to the screen, but when the pitchfork is put down, I believe I shouted, Hold on to that pitchfork. <laughs> Dude, I did too. 
because I've been around the block. I'm not, I'm, I'm trying not to give character names because I want people to enjoy the film the way I did. But um, if, if you're, if you're talking about the same scene that I am, um, it was a quantum leap because of course it, it goes back to Hitchcock. Lori's in the foreground, Michael's in the background. Yes. And the people, the people on screen, Hitchcock used to say with half a smile, the people on screen can't hear you. They can't. Um, so once again, we're given information that the characters aren't given and it's, it's terrifying. Yeah. And um, the close quarters of the close quarters of oh. that sequence, which a lot yeah. of people praise scream for, which I do as well. How close quarters, some of those moments, Halloween, 1978, man, like way back there with these really close, close quarters moments, like this scene we're talking about. So good. I think. I think because the original Halloween in 78 made so much money, it was seen as a phenomenon. And of course it starts a whole genre of horror films in the late seventies, but because it was such a success, I think that kept people from recognizing how great a film it is in terms of its script, in terms of its cinematography, in terms of its editing, in terms of its score, Obviously, people will admit now, you know, it's a masterpiece. It's a foundation film. But I think because it was so successful, it was sort of dismissed back then as, oh, well, that's for kids. The kids are having a good time with that this fall. I remember that it was released in the fall. That's (laughs) that's it's it's amazing how so many there are so many movies in history that were foundational and hugely important that were underestimated. And it's funny to think that uh, even if it was only from a parental aspect, it's funny to think of people underestimating Halloween. But so, yeah, Halloween is absolute classic, bona fide classic, the best. Uh, 2018 Halloween movie, you and I agree. Fun time. Does a few things pretty well. I, again, I didn't love it, but I had a good time with it. I'm pretty positive on it overall. Fine. The Halloween Kills thing, though, I, I, w- I want to start jumping into a couple of these things here. We get the we get the calling Michael Myers an it again. So they, they start talking yeah. about the pure evil thing. Um, but you brought up the other thing. Then they start justifying it as this thing about he feeds off of fear or something. Yeah, there's... there's I'm not some, into this, um, man. There's some odd... Uh, there's some odd monologues there. Um, I really liked all the stuff about the mob because I felt that was the filmmakers addressing something larger in society. Um, Of course, the joke I made is that it's what it's 2021 and these townspeople have not yet learned. You have to attack them all at the same time. I, I know you all want your personal retribution, but it's it's like a Bruce Lee film. You don't you don't attack Michael one at a time, each taking turns. You you approach him um, as a mob. And at that point, my lovely wife was getting into it so much. I'm talking about a scene in the film where Michael, ironically, is attacked by the mob. Um, that my wife was into it so much and so scared and so much in the reality of the narrative that she was shouting advice. Uh, to the townspeople <laughs> about exactly what they should do if they want to be damn sure that Michael doesn't get up again. So the film was working on her. 
Um, I do agree. I haven't thought about this part long enough to sort of work out what I think, but I gave the filmmakers a lot of credit because Michael keeps doing these horrible things and there's something inside of us that makes us want to get his comeuppance. But if we're enjoying the scene uh, where the townspeople beat the shit out of him, doesn't that mean that we're no better than them? So I, I felt like the filmmakers might be trying to get us to see the appeal of mob action. In fact, during that whole sequence, I kept thinking of Kenneth Mars in the film Young Frankenstein. <laughs> in my brain, I kept repeating, a mob is an ugly thing, and I think it's about time we had one. <laughs> it's 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 a weird thing, the mob, though, because, uh, like, like you said, the, and like we talked about uh, moments ago, uh, Michael Myers became the star of Halloween, right? Eventually, it was yeah. no longer Laurie Strode; it was Michael Myers. And it was Michael so, Myers and a and a roaming band of teenagers that changed in every film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so and this one, of course, they try to bring Laurie back, and they try to bring, you know, or they try to introduce us to new characters that would be kind of protagonist, but Michael Myers is still kind of the champ. I feel like when you watch it, definitely. So then he's, he's the one we're there to see. Yeah. And so unlike the first film and this one, we already have the history, which every sequel after Halloween, of course, has to fight with people like to see Michael Myers kill these people. That's just the thing. Yes. But at the same time, that is have, an appeal of the film. <laughs> that is a reason we go. It, no, it is. But then the other thing is, you have this mob and you're like, no, 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 I get it. I would want this motherfucker to die too because he killed yeah. my friend or my family or whoever. Right. So you do get this like interesting struggle because they're very ugly about it. They become animalistic an animalistic type mob. Right. So like you said, yes. it almost and goes I, so I, far that you understand it, but then at some a certain point you go, whoa, 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 guys. <laughs> like, this and, is an ugly and, thing. And I, found it, I found it interesting that the filmmakers chose to use Tommy Doyle, the little boy that Laurie Strode is babysitting in the first film, to be the leader of the mob. The greatest, funniest thing I've read all weekend on the Twitter machine about Halloween kills is that someone, I wish I could remember who made this post, suggested that the Anthony Michael Hall character in Halloween Kills Obviously hasn't been vaccinated yet. He's doing his own research. <laughs> yeah, props to whoever posted that. <laughs> yeah. No, um, but that being said, I thought Anthony Michael Hall was really good in this too. role. I thought he did a great job. I mean, in terms of the cast, I thought, see, my only issue was at times writing, well, not the only issue, but one of the issues that I would have as a hang-up is, is the writing of some characters because I thought everyone did their job well. Like, yeah. uh, we were just talking about Robert Longstreet. Awesome, this guy. Like, And I liked him here as well. Um, you know, Judy Greer. I love Judy Greer in, like, everything. I think she is yeah, an great. underrated... I mean, she's in so much, but I don't feel like people, like pinpoint her as like this really really awesome uh actor and she's just so great although i would argue that the fact that they brought back so many 
minor characters from the first film in 1978. And Charlie Cyphers is the actor who played Sheriff Brackett that because they're playing this game with nostalgia and fan fiction, I personally spent too much time trying to figure out which of them had been in the 1978 film and who was new. So for instance, the actress who's the nurse who's driving Donald Pleasance to the facility in the 1978 Halloween, I wondered in Halloween Kills if it was the same actress. I wondered about the the kids who were being babysat. Obviously, uh, Longstreet did not play Lonnie. In, in the 1978 Halloween, but it's problematic, I think, because a lot of people are there because they love Halloween. So it's not like a normal audience. It's a sort of nostalgic audience built in. And do you really want to plunge them into 15 minutes of sitting there? And I'm not paying attention to the film. I'm trying to decide who was in the 78 one and who's new. That's the, a problem. The only one I know of, and I could be wrong, that is actually playing the same character. And again, Keyword, only one I know of, is Kyle Richards, who plays Lindsay. And the only reason I know that is because my wife and I went down this huge rabbit hole of watching um, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. <laughs> and she's so on that it. Means, that then means there's two. Uh, the, the, the actress who played Lindsay and Charlie Cyphers. And the minute there's more than one, because, of course, Jamie Lee Curtis is in it, that it's, it's, it's distracting because it makes me start to wonder how many of those um, people who are obviously going to have a new life at horror conventions signing autographs now, um, how many of those there were. Um, Again, I I thought Anthony Michael Hall was really good. I I did too. I actually really liked, I've liked Anthony Michael Hall and a lot of stuff since he's been an adult. I think he's actually uh, incredibly talented. And here, I thought he was good. Again, I don't really, I can't think of anyone uh, that I had a huge issue with. Even the um, the gay couple in in the Myers house that live there now. The one guy was on Mad TV, and I don't know if you yes, used to watch. And, and he used to. Play. Oh no no! The minute <laughs> the minute he showed up, my wife and I turned to each other and said, "Stuart." <laughs> Michael what? McDonald's his name, and uh, he plays Little even, John. Even even people who did not like Halloween kills have been posting (laughs) on the Twitter machine. I've been on Twitter way too much this weekend (laughs) that they would like to, they would like a spinoff standalone movie about big John and little John because they were so taken with those characters. I said the exact, I said I was watching with my wife and I was like, honey, would you watch a big John, little John, like prequel spinoff? She's like, yeah, dude. Because they were they were a lot of fun, and I had a good time with them. And that that's a perfect example of, like, I don't necessarily think the moments they're on screen is great cinema, okay? But it was fun. Like, those are moments no, I can say, like, I. this was fun. And, and even they have a little arc, and I don't think I'm spoiling anything. At the beginning of the film, they have moved into the Myers house, and they use that cachet to get some bothersome trick-or-treaters out of their hair. And then... Later, perhaps, they face the results of having moved into the Myers house because, of course, all of these films suggest that these incidents leave a karma that you can't escape. Yeah. Yeah. You Um, can't just, what I'm saying is, you can't just reap the benefits of living in the Myers house 
there's also disadvantages of living in the Myers. <laughs> Fatal disadvantages. Um. <laughs> people are trying to figure out why Big John and Little John are watching the John Cassavetes film Minnie and Moskowitz <laughs> yeah. on the TV. Where exactly does that fit into the Halloween universe? I, I and I'm watching hard. it. And I'm like, that's Minnie. That's Minnie and Moskowitz. I recognize that. Why did they pick that? I just have this feeling that David Gordon Green, who, of course, started making these kind of indie art films, basically, with George yeah. Washington and all the real girls. And then, of course, he he's does these silly... his hat to, he's, uh, he's tipping his hat to indie cinema. Yeah, I, I think it has to be, you know, because I thought the same thing. I'm like, why of all movies is this the thing? Like, I know what it is. You clearly point. I forgot about that till you just brought it up. But, yeah. Because in the first Halloween, they're watching Forbidden Planet on TV. And then in Halloween 2, which I know isn't canon anymore, uh, we discover that the Halloween marathon continues on that TV station with Dr. Demento or whoever it is. And then they're watching Night of the Living Dead. So we go from Forbidden Planet to Night of the Living Dead to Minnie and Moskowitz. It's a clear progression <laughs> from one film to the next. <laughs> I, Minnie, when I saw that, I was... That might have been the most excited I was in the movie just because a, a Cassavetes movie was on display in a huge, wide, like widely seen yeah. movie. <laughs> what an odd choice. Although you could argue that both Night of the Living Dead and uh, Minnie and Moskowitz were low budget independent films. Yeah, you could. Absolutely. Um, so <laughs> that's so funny. Um, but yeah, so the mob thing, you know, I've had some people, uh, and these are more just like, not critics, just like friends that I've seen that had a bit of an issue with the mob because they can't disassociate it with, uh, like some sort of like kind of current event, uh, like with all of the, 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 I'm assuming that they're hinting at like racial aspects and all of these things. I thought that was, I thought that was the filmmaker's intent. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that the, a mob is an ugly thing. There you go. The other yeah. thing that I wanted to make sure I mentioned and didn't forget was, I think some people who perhaps were not as entertained by this film as I was need to remember that we might also be dealing with Empire Strikes Back syndrome because clearly, as I was watching Halloween Kills at every moment, it was clear to me that this was the stack. I'm sorry. It's late. It was the second installment of three. We're watching the middle chapter. And the middle chapter always has things that people quibble about. But I think at this point, you can see that the filmmakers know where they're going. There's clearly a place that we're going. And that people are always sort of disappointed by chapter two. Now, most people acknowledge now how great Empire Strikes Back is. But when Empire Strikes Back was first released, people were very disappointed by how the end leaves everything up in the air. Oh, people wanted a, a nice pat ending for all the characters. What, they just take off into space and this guy's still here? What, he's still in car? What the hell? And I kept thinking during Halloween Kills, this is chapter two. This is chapter two. <laughs> oh, see, it's interesting because I always think, yes, it is chapter two, 100% in terms of this new trilogy. I always think of it, I've just, I've continuously thought of it as the third film because they always talk about it as the first film exists. 
but you make a good point there because they're going to not only compare it to the 2018 version, which is ultimately the reboot, the second era, basically. Exactly. Because it, it takes place 40 years later. Uh, clearly, we're being reintroduced to certain things, certain characters, and so on. Uh, and yeah, that's that's a, that's a fair point. That these these were envisioned as three films. If you wanted to see another audience reaction that will never be replicated, you should have been there on opening night for Back to the Future Two, and how <laughs> at the you know what I'm talking about. at the end of Back to the Future Two, it's basically okay, suckers, see you next summer, and it's like the audience almost rioted. Really. The, I believe the DeLorean takes off and it's like, and next summer you'll get to see the rest of it. And I actually, if I, if I'm remembering correctly, the, the end in the theater of part two was kind of a mini trailer for part three. And back then people were having none of it because it really smacked of, of course, now we're, we're immune to this because of the Marvel cinematic universe. But people back then really felt ripped off. They felt like, okay, line up now. <laughs> no. Yeah. It, the very end of it is literally a trailer yeah. where they're showing it's clips a, throughout trailer. the film. I'm assuming yeah, they the filmed Wild them. West, yeah. I'm assuming they filmed them at the same yeah, time. At the or same something. time. Um, I will say this. Halloween kills makes me want to see the next one. So, that, I don't, In fact, I'm I, hoping it's more mean-spirited. There, I said it. I want part three to be really bloodthirsty and angry. There, I said it. But but you know what's funny, though? If it's bloodthirsty and angry toward Michael, I bet people would keep their mouth shut because he is the evil. So if you were to literally murder and brutalize Michael in some way, I feel like the people complaining about the mean-spirited specifically would be fine because oh, he no, was the wrongdoer. It's clear. It's clear what they're complaining about. I don't hear anyone complaining about the scene where Michael gets the stuffing knocked out of him. I think very specifically, they're talking about the number of kills, the nature of the kills, and who it is who's dispatched. But as the poet says, if you're going to make an omelet, you have to break some eggs. Yeah. And and there was a there was a podcast I was listening to. It was about wrestling. It had nothing to do with movies. But one of the guys in the podcast uh, does a movie podcast as well. So he was bringing up, like Halloween came up for some reason, and he he said, oh yeah, like I hear Halloween kills, like the studio struggling with the filmmakers because they, uh, I guess there's a scene with firefighters getting murdered and they want to cut that scene because it's too mean-spirited. or so, It was something like that, which that scene is in the movie. <laughs> so yeah. clearly the studio did not win that. But it's like, I watched that scene and I'm like, oh, wait, that was the one people were talking about. I don't get why this is so bad in comparison to a million other things that come oh, out. Is like, the mean-spirited, is, are the mean-spirited comments specifically talking about the firefighters? No, no, no. I not thought they meant the film as a whole. No, okay. no, no. But that was, that was one thing that I heard. But now that you mention it, that scene is hard to take. There's, there's a lot of facial trauma in that scene. <laughs> yeah, there and is, some yeah. people are not a fan of facial trauma. Facial trauma. Um, last night, I rewatched Halloween 2, which I know is not canon anymore. <laughs> and there's a bunch of stuff about hypodermic needles in the eye. Oh. I Thank you for reacting that way. I have to say, I have a very hard time watching eye trauma. That's my 
that's my um, that's a subcategory of facial trauma. Um, yeah. No, <laughs> no uh, as opposed to psychological trauma, which all the people of Haddonfield are suffering from. <laughs> that's true. What? Well, let's talk about let's talk about the kills then a little bit, not specifically, but okay. I'll tell you one thing. A lot of modern horror, one of my biggest hangups is how shitty all the special effects look because I hate like borderline CGI stuff. I just, I hate whenever someone hits someone and it's super clear that it's just like CG spatter, you know, and oh, yeah. all, I hate that. It takes me out of it. It doesn't ruin a movie for me per se. It just, in that moment, will take me out and I can't, like, I'm just not in it. This movie, though. Halloween kills. I got to give them credit. They, I don't know how, I don't know what was CG and what was practical. I, you know, and I'll, I'll let you I talk about that. Wrong, but a lot of it looks practical. It did. A lot of it looks practical. And, and I, cause it, it has and weight I, and it subscribes to the laws of gravity in terms of how <laughs> things spurt and, and bleed. Yeah. And I loved that actually, you know, for, for as mean spirited and violent as it can be, it did not look like a 1980s practical effect thing. No, it looked like modern technology making practical effects. And I loved it. You talked about all of the arterial uh, heartbeat spatter. Yeah. I loved There's every second that. that there is a lot. But when I see that, it beats fake blood. Like, I, I just like, I hate it. So that was one thing about Halloween Kills that you got all of these. There were a few that were CG, but like they didn't look bad. Like, they clearly put some time. Um, I'm going to make a motion to you, and you'll know which kill I'm talking about because I don't want to ruin it. But there's one. Okay. Oh, yeah. You know, that one. Yeah. <laughs> so you can just, you know, watch the movie now, folks. Let's see. <laughs> As I do visual cues. Uh, but stuff like that's like CG. Clear. But it looks good. We're both, we're both recommending the film. We're both. If, if people are listening to this, we're both saying you should watch this film. Yeah, I'm. We'll talk about how I feel about it, but I am. I would, in the end, say you should check this out. But we'll, we'll get there. But how did you feel about okay. the kills overall, though? I mean, were you like I, I'm not one who? Let me clarify this. I'm not one who goes to a movie for kills and movies that are about kills. I only have a certain level of interest on my spectrum of movies to enjoy, unless there is more to them, uh, like the film, like John, like if John Carpenter you know, does this wild slasher in the seventies or whatever, which he did, but I'm saying like, you know, like, uh, like Halloween, I'll just say that, I guess. I don't know why I'm like walking around it, but you know, you have something like Halloween. There's so much to that movie. You mentioned the score, the cinematography, all of these aspects that show there is a good filmmaker here on top of that. Yeah. He's making what will later become, uh, what a lot of people would consider trash cinema, but this movie's not. And this is why, Right. But then there are other movies yeah. that I just I have no I find no entertainment in it or very little because I don't really care to watch someone just kill people the whole time. That's just not what I get out of it usually. But I want to know what you how you feel about the kills in this because I don't go to movies for kills. But whenever I think a movie's pretty decent <laughs> and the kills are cool, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I didn't I didn't think they were particularly over the top and I didn't think they were particularly mean spirited. I think you just put your finger on why I liked it because there was something very nostalgic about them, both in the way they were led up to in terms of the suspense and also the way they were done. 
I, I didn't put my finger on this until just now when you said that. I think somewhere in my subconscious, I'm responding to the practical effects. Yeah. Because I really like practical effects. I didn't think there were too many of them. I didn't think they were mean-spirited. Again, I'm not suggesting this is a masterpiece of cinema. I'm saying it was a really fun Friday night, and I don't think it's shit on the original Halloween. Yeah, 100%. Um, so we're, 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 we're in lock there. I, again, being someone who doesn't go to movies for kills, my, my wife and I had a good, like, it, she loves horror movies. And I just love watching movies like this because she can just go like, Ooh, that looked like it hurt. Or like, she'll just like say some line, you know, and then like, we can kind of like riff on it. You know what I mean? And have like, that's part of the good time for me with movies like this. And so, which is another reason to watch, which is another reason to watch it at home because then you're not up, you're not bothering people in a theater with your shouts and screams. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about the mob or your advice to the people on the screen. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I wish I could hear Jan just screaming at this. <laughs> oh no, it it made it it made it a hundred percent more entertaining. God, I gotta come watch movies with you guys. All right, so we talked about the mob. We talked about uh, the kills. Now we've talked about Michael being pure evil and and the it. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about the Michael Myers character. I touched on this a little bit earlier, but I want your opinion because this is another hang up for me. Michael Myers seems to discriminate with his kills on this one. Let me explain this. I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, because you've seen more of the Halloween movies than I have. In the first film, if anyone gets in his fucking way, you're dead. Like, that's just what happens. He has he doesn't yes. discriminate, good or bad, you're just dead. Like, he's going to kill you and because Halloween, he's pure evil. Halloween kills, unless I'm confused, because again, I've been watching the original films and then Friday night I watched Halloween Kills. There's a flashback in Halloween Kills to Lonnie on the sidewalk, and Michael just keeps going. I hate this. Yeah, uh, like this is this is you're you're spot on, and that's exactly what I'm hinting at. But there are other people in the movie that he starts to kill, and then he kind of just changes his perspective and goes for someone else. But even within the same movie. And that's toward the end. That's all I'll say. Okay. But then there are other parts of the movie where he almost kills someone and then realizes they're not dead and then just murders them. You know, like that guy. Oh, yes. I'm doing, again, I'm doing visual cues. (laughs) Again, if you haven't seen the film, this will not make any sense to you, but you're talking about the staircase. I wish that aspect had been developed so that it's the arbitrary nature of his wrath that becomes even more frightening. Why does he ignore this and do this? Why do you think you're safe, but you're not? And I, it, I think it just comes across as odd screenwriting. I don't think there's a master plan behind the people Michael ignores. Yeah. Well, I agree. And so like, we're, we're again in lockstep there because, uh, there were just different points in the movie where I felt like Michael Myers was like too clever or too smart, where then other times he's like way too, he's uh, that kind of visceral killer, you know, that we know to be. The filmmakers have to decide one way or another. You can't have both. And if I felt like there was a little bit of 
we're just going to take Michael into a lot of different areas. He's still Michael Myers, but he's going to choose to do this here, and he's going to kind of do this, and he's going to do this and this. And there was just something, again, I'm trying to be vague, and I don't think that's the most interesting thing to listen to, so I'm trying to figure out how to talk about it. But I just feel like Michael, I just, I guess the whole time I'm watching it, I could not help not comparing it. It's not what I was doing, but I couldn't help being reminded of the 1978 film and thinking, Mm -hmm. and even the 2018 for the most part, I don't remember him doing anything like this in there, where it was just like, man, he just seemed like a guy who was on a mission and he just did. In the 78 film, he's much more consistent. Yeah, and I guess th- that's the word I'm looking as for. As a character. Yeah, I just I just want the consistency. But like you said, you know, or like we talked about, there are t- regardless of whether we're counting the sequels as canon or not, there is a long history that has developed Michael Myers. And so it yeah. just I to me it was just like we just pick one. <laughs> like you know, like I'm just I'm watching I'm just like, B. it's not hard. Yeah. <laughs> but did, did this did this stand out to you at all, or were you able to just let it wash over you? Because this was actually a hang-up of mine. It actually bothered me. The, the only two things that bothered me were, A, the thing I talked about before, whereby bringing these ancillary characters back, it leads you down a rabbit hole if you're a fan of the series. But there's other aspects of the film that seem devoted to fan fiction, that could be distracting or they could be delightful. I remember when I realized that three of the trick-or-treaters who are terrorized by Michael are specifically wearing the three masks from Halloween 3. The skull, the witch, and the pumpkin. And I, it didn't pull me out of the film, but it seems too clever by half, and they're just trying to satisfy that aspect of the audience. Um I don't think I put my finger on it while I was watching it, but now that you mention it, it's true that that as a character, Michael Myers is more consistent in 78 than he is in 2021. And then if they wanted to go in that direction, they should have developed that in the screenplay so that the arbitrariness of it was part of the terror. Absolutely. And I feel like they tried to explain something with the whole fear feeds him and all this. They, I don't know. I feel yes, like they were keyword trying. Keyword tried. Yeah. Keyword tried. <laughs> I mean, that is the keyword because I feel like they tried real hard to make that have some level of weight that I just don't think came across in the film at all. And again, no. I, overall, I'm positive on the movie. Uh, but the, some of these things really just kind of made it less interesting for someone who is a fan of the original. And again, I don't compare the two, but whenever you look at who this character Basically, in me trying to figure out why am I not attaching to this character? Like, I like Michael Myers. I think it's a cool, like, horror villain. And then I go back to the original. I think, oh, I liked it for this, and they're not doing this thing. And I'm not one of those people that's just like, you're not doing the thing that I like. Don't. Like, it's, it's not. <laughs> Do that thing. Say that thing. Yeah. Say that thing that I like when you say. Yeah. Say that line. Disappear. No, um, I, I just, I don't, I'm not that person. I don't mind it being different, but it's the inconsistency. I just wanted yeah. him to be the scary boogeyman and not like this guy who seems to have some certain level of sentience that I didn't want him to have. <laughs> like I want him to yeah, have. Well, a certain, a certain level of sentience in some scenes and then mindless killing machine in other scenes. Correct. Yeah. And I just realized because besides seeing movies, we all have lives that one of the reasons why I might have really liked Halloween Kills last Friday night 
is that last Friday afternoon, I saw the new James Bond film and I'm a big James Bond fan, but the new James Bond film is endless. I haven't it's seen it endless. Yet. Yeah. I think it's 245. <laughs> so I it think is. Friday night, I was just responding to the fact that Halloween kills is 90 minutes, which is the length that every film should aspire to. <laughs> No, 90 minutes. (laughs) You know what, though? The 90 90 minutes was awesome. Actually, it was if it had been longer, it would have been ruined. The 2018 movie was an hour and 46 and the original was, again, 91 minutes. Halloween Kills, it goes right back. Well, it's actually an hour and 45. But the point is, take the take the credits away. It's right around that sweet spot. You know what I mean? It does not overstay its welcome. And I'm I'm not bad mouthing James Bond. Everyone should see James Bond. It's it's fine and it's fun. But good Lord, how long's Goldfinger? That's the blueprint. <laughs> every every James Bond film should be exactly as long as Goldfinger. There, I said it. I, you know, I have to see uh, No Time to Die, not only for the film critic inside me, but also the, uh, I've seen, I remember you and I, it was right around Skyfall, and I came to visit your son Jake, and I was at your house, and we were hanging out, and we were watching movies, and at one point I brought up Skyfall, and I, I was a, I was a bit of a critic of it, right? I liked the movie, but I had criticisms. And I think you were a huge fan, am I right, of Skyfall? I remember yeah. being a big fan of that movie. Yeah, and so I remember us talking, and I I let it out the bag that I had only seen Casino Royale and like the Pierce Brosnan stuff growing up, and you I feel I remember you just writing me off. <laughs> You're like oh, you have boy. to watch I'm these. Sorry. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm giving word. you a hard time. But like it remind was so funny. Me, remind me. Remind me because all the films get get blurred in my head. Is Skyfall the one where they open the garage door and the Aston Martins there? I think so. Yeah. With um, uh, Javier Bardem got, and all that. That got a huge reaction yep. in the theater when I saw it. And I was like, I'm here with the right people because in my universe, that car gets a standing ovation, damn it. <laughs> yeah. um, well, no, I, my point is after after being at your house in whatever year that was, 2013 or something, I went home and in three weeks, I marathoned all 24 films, including Never Say Never Again, uh, the unofficial yeah. Bond movie. Um, and now I've seen them all the way up to Spectre. I have to watch them. I mean, I have to see them all. I can't just say, oh, I missed one. No, I have They're to watch them great. all now. So, uh, you know, I, I went back so that my opinion would have some weight. And so I look forward to No Time to Die, where yeah. my opinion can have some weight. <laughs> I still I still miss Sean Connery. But if you're looking for a film that doesn't take your entire afternoon, see Halloween Kills, because it's much shorter than No Time to Die. <laughs> and that. oddly enough, <laughs> think about this, Austin. Maybe. Maybe the alternate title of Halloween Kills should have been No Time to Die. That would work. <laughs> what did, that would work fine. The other thing, hold on, what was the tagline? Hold on. Halloween colon No, no Time to Die. <laughs> that would be good, but it was Evil Never Die or Evil Dies Tonight. Do you know how many yes. times they said Evil Dies Tonight in that movie? <laughs> many times. Many times. It was because at least again, 21 because my wife and I were counting them, even the chance. Uh, there was a lot of a, evil dies tonight in this movie. <laughs> there's a meme. There's a meme on the Twitter machine. I'm sorry that my sub theme tonight is the, the Twitter machine. Yeah. There's a meme of a very small baby 
wearing striped pajamas, and he's screaming into his father's cell phone. That's the meme. And someone posted a caption this picture. And um, Erica Bromley, uh, the wonderful wife of Patrick Bromley, the guy behind F this movie, captioned it, the evil dies tonight. <laughs> that's what this that's what, what the little baby screaming into his cell phone. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, the uh with there being a third movie, we'll see for people who have not yet watched this if evil does indeed die tonight. Um, it does it does raise the question of now that they have all these balls in the air, mean-spirited or not, how they're going to bring this particular ship in for landing. And I'm very curious how they're going to do it. You know, here here are my ultimately my feelings, because I mentioned you said that we were encouraging people to see it. And I kind of halted a bit, but I was like, overall, I'm on board. I think that this movie, for me, how good it is, will ultimately, for me, kind of uh, the third one could kind of make or break it for me, honestly, because of that final kill, I'll say. How are they playing that into the movie? Because if it's just a senseless thing, which I don't think it will be, it doesn't feel that way. But if it I is, it's not. like that's a wasted. Come on, guys. Like this is lazy now. You know, I feel like they could do something really interesting with the third one. And it could elevate this one because of the things we talked about. The mob mentality, how this trauma affects the larger community. Um, you know, and it certainly raises the stakes for the Laurie Strode character. One hundred and ten percent. Absolutely. And there with with the. okay, all of that's great. Question for you about the music real quick, though, because we I think everyone loves this music. I mean, you know, the 2018 version and this kind of go back to a much more like old school soundtrack. They're doing a lot of more stripped down synthesizer sound like it should be. One could argue. But there are times where and I'm, I'm into it. But there are times where it feels very much like nostalgia and a throwback. And there are other times where sure. it just fucking works. Like, without the original or not, like, man, this would just really kick. You know what I mean? Did you have oh, any I, setbacks I really like with the, the music? Score. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you, yeah. I didn't, I didn't have a problem with the throwbacks because that's just, that's just part of the series now. That, that incessant theme has become irretrievably linked but no i every time john carpenter does a score it's at least interesting and it's nice that them rebooting these films has got him back in the studio doing things because that was always part of his career that i think people didn't talk about enough no i mean how many other filmmakers score their own films there aren't a whole lot no think think about this one of one of them is chaplin I was actually so going to bring this, up Chaplin. <laughs> Carpenter puts himself in the same canon as Chaplin. I'm trying to think of another filmmaker who also does the music. I'm who look- else besides Carpenter and Chaplin? I mean, I can't think of any. I'm off the top a blank. Of yeah, me too. Um, uh, I'm looking at, I mean, Carpenter didn't just do like a handful. He has no. 39 credits. Oh, like, no, no, no. That's uh, including the the last Halloween, which will come out next year, and I believe Halloween Kills was supposed to come out last year, actually, but it just yes. got postponed. So, um, yeah, people won't have to wait quite as long, I guess. But yeah, I mean, his scores are. There's a reason that there are just whole vinyl records of just like John Carpenter's 
I mean, you always get movie scores, but it's like there's the John Carpenter ones. I know uh, people who collect vinyl who look for John Carpenter scores specifically, like he's a John Definitely. Williams or something. You know what I mean? And I, I love John Carpenter scores. I think they're super interesting, like you said, and everything. But yeah, anyways, overall, uh, Halloween Kills is pretty interesting. I had all I can say about it is I just had a fun time. I just I I was able yeah. to sit back. My brain was kind of turned off. I was having fun with my wife watching this movie. Sounds like you were doing the same on a Friday it's October. night. It's scary movie month. It's better than we had any right to expect. It should shut have been terrible. Watch it. <laughs> to those of you who would criticize, shut up and watch it. Put on a, a William Shatner mask inside out and just watch it. Just shut up and watch it. You should just like the thing I like. Um, you should like the thing I like and not the <laughs> things I don't like. Because you're the mean, you're the mean spirited one. Not Michael, my friend. <laughs> I just want to end on that, you know. But <laughs> end on that note. No, um, but yeah. So uh, overall, I think we're both uh, just saying, like, hey, give it a shot. Like you just pinpointed the thing. It's better than we expected, and it's better than it should yeah. have been. At the very least, I think it's better than so many horror movies that come out these days. At least you can see one that has an iconic figure in it, that has iconic characters in it, that has a killer score that looks pretty awesome, especially because of the yeah. practical effects. And again, if they aren't practical, or a lot of them aren't that I thought were, sold me like I had I didn't know. Um, it's really really good. Like those aspects, yeah, I think, are a, good. If you're a horror fan, you've been burned a lot. And I watched this Friday night, and I didn't feel burned. Although, if you'd like to see Michael Myers burned, you need to watch Halloween 2. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, I guess. Um, all right. Well, that is that is our thoughts on <laughs> Halloween Kills. Um, anything you want to leave us off on? Uh, any plugs? F this movie? Any of that stuff? By all means, JB, give us give us F your this thing. Movie, F this movie continues to chug along, and we're doing our scary movie challenge. So check out fthismovie.com and we uh, encourage you to leave a seven word review of any horror films that you watch this month. And it's too much fun and you can get your name read on the podcast. And also on October 30th, Fathom Events returns and they're going to show The Invisible Man and The Wolfman in real movie theaters. A bunch of us went on October 3rd and saw Dracula and Frankenstein and it was two tons of fun. So if you got a couple... Uh, hours available on October 30th. Go and support that because I know I'll be there. That sounds not only directly down your alley, but that sounds like yeah. something I wish I could do. Unfortunately, my wife and I have tickets to a Rocky Horror adapt like adaptation at our theater. Oh, oh wow. Not the movie. That sounds like fun too. The theater. Uh so that will be taking up my time though I would love to see the Invisible Man and Wolfman. In if the you theater. can't make it a- if you can't make it to the Fathom event, I guess some people are having trouble getting copies because there's been supply chain issues. But Universal, about a week ago, put out Dracula, Frankenstein, Invisible Man, and Wolfman on 4K Blu-ray. And they're very beautiful. Um, the Dracula transfer is really cool and dark. They took advantage of the increased uh, clarity to really go dark on the transfer. And I'm, I kind of love it. Purists might scream, but it's available in a little box with the four films. And I hardly recommend it. They look great. 
that's that's yeah, I'm sold. And I'm also sold. Everybody go check out these uh, the new 1978 Halloween uh, Shout Factory. I saw you posting oh, about yeah. it on Twitter as well, and I haven't seen it yet. But that's when I rewatch the film. I'm going to try to get a hold of that so I can watch that too. That that's the film I'm very familiar with and it's just whoever did the transfer was very sensitive to the material and nuances and stuff and it's just a, a joy to look at and it's only money folks it's it's just a bag of shells. <laughs> <laughs> well, JB, thank you so much, man. Um, and I mean, Halloween, what are you going to do? We're almost there. It's a Sunday this year. And last year, my wife fashioned a, a treat tube because we had the COVID to worry about. So the kids put their bags under this tube, but she arranged it so that it was a big skull head. So the skull head had its mouth open and the tube came through. So it was like the skull was vomiting candy into the kids' bags and it was great. I don't know if we need to use the treat tube this year, but Halloween is on a Sunday. And if any child comes to your house in a costume, give them some candy. It's the greatest holiday on the calendar because A, you get candy and B, you don't have to get together with your family. (laughs) On that note, man, we're going to get out of here. Thank you so much, buddy. Good talking to you, Austin. All right. Those were our thoughts, JB and I's uh, thoughts on Halloween Kills, the new David Gordon Green film. Uh, Yeah. I mean, again, I'm not huge on it. I'm not like super hot on this thing um i think i gave it like a three out of five but that's still positive for me it's on the lower side of positive but i had a good time with it and i couldn't deny that even though i think as a film it deserves less the experience for me actually was better because it actually took me back to uh you know the the slashers that i actually liked there was something about it that kind of tied into that so you should definitely check that out but next week uh we're gonna be doing something fun A guest and I are going to be uh, basically finding, each of us are going to find a horror movie that we've never seen before, and we're going to watch it, and we're going to talk about it. The other person can have seen it, that's okay, Um, but the goal is for each individual to see something new, so we're going to talk about that. I may tie in some more horror movies, we'll see if I can get around to them, Uh, but yeah, so that's the plan for next week. Hopefully Joe can be back with us, if not, I'll have a surprise guest for you. But um, that's about it. So I'll hopefully see you next week. I love you guys. Thank you so much. Good night. Good luck. And take it easy.